Did you know electric vehicles still have a 12 volt battery on board? Or that Varta provides 70% of Europe's new cars with the AGM start-stop battery? Become a battery expert. Search Varta e-learning now for free to access bite-sized training modules, now including new modules on electric vehicle technology. Hello and welcome to the Professional Motor Mechanic Podcast. I'm your host, Kieran Nee, editor of PMM Magazine. This month's issue features a great diagnostics explainer and some important information from Maha on lift safety. So make sure to ask for a free copy from your local motor factor. This episode, we thought we'd try something a bit different. We're always looking to push the envelope around here. And by different, what I really mean is that I've got our wonderful news and product editor, Freya Coleman, with me in the studio. Hello, Freya. Hi, Kieran. So tell me, Freya, why are you here with us today? Well, I thought we could listen back to some of the interviews that we did at Auto Mechanica together. Okay, then that's exactly what we'll do. You'll hear from Steve Nash from the IMI. You'd have to have been under a rock not to realise that, in general terms, the whole economy is suffering with a shortage of people. Mike Busey from the VLS. Sometimes we're accused of being a sort of name and shame organisation. That, that's not the number one priority. Education was the number one priority. And from Bill Fennell from the Motor Ombudsman about some of the challenges facing the aftermarket at the moment. We're getting more contact from private individuals regarding concerns they've got when they've had their, their car repaired. Then you'll hear from Tom Henman, editor of PMF. But first, Freya, will you do the honours? The news? Certainly. The average labour rate of Garage Hive customers opting into Garage Industry Trends has now officially reached £70. I spoke with the company's director, Alex Lindley, about the data. The labour rate in June, according to Garage Industry Trends, uh, reached £70 and £5. It's, it's currently in July, it's, it's already sitting at £70 and £30. Now we've been measuring labour rates since August 22. Uh, so it's about a 9% increase in less than a year in the average labour rate. It is worth noting that this is for uh, garage hive customers that are opted in. So it may not be indicative of the overall industry labour rate, uh, but it's certainly very indicative of the trends of the labour rate, which seems to be really nicely tracking uh, inflation, you know, really as it, as it should be. So I do consider it to be, to be great news that we've finally reached the £70 milestone. The IAAF is calling on the government to make its decision on the MOT test frequency. The Department for Transport launched the public consultation on the future of MOTs in February of this year, which looked at the frequency of the test. The government's preference for the first test to be taken at four years. The Independent Garage Association has worked with key stakeholders, the UK government, vehicle manufacturers and aftermarket associations, to ensure that appropriately audited garage operators and their authorised employees will have access to security-related repair and maintenance information to the same level enjoyed by their European counterparts. Data from Compare the Market reveals that 18% of UK drivers admitted to driving without a valid MOT, an increase from the 11% in the same study conducted a year ago. This could be due to the continuing cost-of-living crisis. Lastly, we're inviting our PMM listeners to start using their eyes and ears as the long-awaited Professional Motor Mechanic YouTube channel is now up and running, bringing the magazine to life. 
current videos include putting Milwaukee's power tools to the test and a look at how to install and use the Rosone parts washer. To check it out, head over to www.youtube.com slash at Professional Motor Mechanic. And that's the news this month from PMM. That's great, Freya. And great to see UK garages being included in the CERMI scheme. Now, before we take you to our main feature, I just wanted to share with you an interview I did recently with David Valentine from this month's headline sponsor, Total Energies. We discussed how the company is handling the move towards electrification. Total Energies rebranded from Total a couple of years ago, and some may not be familiar with where the company is today. Can you summarise? The brand change took place in 2021. It symbolised a transformation into a broad energy business, um, and it was obviously the catalyst for unifying our vision to net zero. But most importantly, it marked a time for the Total Energies family to change their internal narrative, you know, what was going on uh, inside the head, and focus on broad energy provision. As you may or may not know, we're a global business. We're headquartered in Paris, but we've been operating in the UK for a considerably long time, and we've got deep roots here, which means we're heavily invested in low-carbon activities like wind, LNG, EV mobility, and solar. We also have a lubricants blending plant that's in Ferrybridge, and that's plumb right in the center of the UK, and it's from this uh, great position that benefits us uh, if you think about shorter and simpler uh, supply chain miles being used between our location and the customer. That's got to equate to carbon reduction. I'd say all in all, the company intends to bring stable, affordable energy to the masses, and that includes delivering branded product into the arms of all of our UK customers. And an example of that is our recent uh, partnership tie-up with Amazon. And what do you see as the biggest challenge for mechanics adapting their businesses for electrification and, and for net zero more widely? Yeah, so workshops and technicians have a critical role to play on the journey to net zero. You know, if we can segregate these um, challenges into short-term and medium-term, the current um, internal combustion engine fleet is obviously what dominates our roads right now, and that needs to be maintained to a high standard, uh, not just to increase the lifespan, but also the optimizing performance. And if we do that correctly, we're going to reduce emissions. But more importantly, the longer term, or at least the medium term, we see a challenge emerging and that means that all these technicians, they need to be upskilled to be able to maintain and service EV cars. And that's currently an industry problem. So we need to come together to help them. And alongside of this, if you think about it, workshops, they need to achieve value. You know, these are ongoing businesses that need to make money. So whilst sort of strategically wanting to reduce the carbon emissions, they need to turn over money to stay in business. So they're looking to reduce their carbon footprint. They're looking to reduce their operating costs. They might choose to undertake premise refurbishment, just like we would do with our homes to improve efficiency. Some of them might be exploring value add uh, in terms of offering EV charge points so that they can give back the customer's car fully charged. Some of them might sort of uh, diversify into battery as a service and become the norm. How is Total Energies evolving its products and services uh, to meet the needs of mechanics adapting to electrification and net zero? Total Energies is partnering with businesses throughout the industry, you know, from sole traders on the left-hand side to national servicing groups on the right. Again, we are guided by our broader climate ambition to get to the net zero by 2050. And it's to this end that we're focused on helping the masses succeed in their own personal journey. And so each day we're launching new products and services. And if I give you an example on the products, uh, we've just launched Quartz EV range for electric vehicles. 
And that's developed and honed from our Formula E program that we participate in. Uh, we've also launched our Quartz Extra, which is developed for hybrid vehicles. And then in terms of solutions, we've just come out with Quartz Box, and that's an eco-efficient packaging solution, and it aims to reduce waste. So that'll improve efficiency, which will minimize, obviously, the overall environmental impact for our customers. Uh, one last example is our partnership with Slicker, a third-party waste oil provider, and that's just helping our customers to immerse themselves into that circular economy solution through the collection and recycling of waste oil. So tell me, David, what's next on the horizon for Total Energies and the UK Automotive Lubricants Division in particular? We've got a few things happening. We're just about to launch a loyalty scheme for customers, which is a reward for purchase. If you think about uh, your Tesco loyalty scheme, you shop, you get some points, you can redeem that. Ours is slightly different. You get the points and you redeem them for prizes. But it's important on this exercise, you know, that our responsibility is to champion prizes that are green. So we're also about to embark on a new initiative, and we've named that Fit for the Future. And ideally, what it sets out to do is uh, find that green garage that is out there, be it north or south, that's taking some brave steps to uh, improve their own net zero journey and leading by example in the community. So we want to find them and celebrate that. Kieran, I'd say in summary today, the whole transition to cleaner energy is a complex mission for the industry. There's no doubt we're all leaning into it. We want to play our part in supporting these operators, um, particularly given today's um, difficult economic climate. And we feel that nobody's better experienced or has the knowledge or the understanding of the challenges that lie ahead, as does our company. So we take that quite seriously. But however, you know, in ending, I would say that we're just one contributor to this transition of the eco-system um, and our challenge is basically to all industry players, whether you're a utility, uh, an auto battery maker, a, a service provider or a distributor, to speak out about your own initiatives and even collaborate on joint projects so that we can you know, realize that green future together. Thanks, David. Now, Freya, shall we head back to the NEC, to Auto Mechanica? Are you ready to go back? I think I might need a coffee first. I know, it was exhausting, but this was your idea. We wanted to share some of the interviews we did at June's show with you, as some very interesting points were raised in our pop-up podcast studio on our stand. And we will be sharing those in the future. But for today, we'll be sharing with you three of the big organisations in the aftermarket, the IMI, the Motor Ombudsman and the VLS. Let's begin with our chat with the chief exec of the IMI, Steve Nash. Steve spoke to us about the skills shortages affecting the aftermarket. This is something you, Freya, covered in your news section last month. Uh, but let's hear a bit more from Steve about what challenges are exacerbating the problem. So I'm Steve Nash. I'm the chief executive of the Institute of the Motor Industry, which is the industry's professional body. I think anybody, you know, uh, you'd have to have been under a rock not to realise that in general terms, the whole economy is suffering with a shortage of people. Um, there's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, we can't hide from the fact that Brexit had an effect. An awful lot of the people who were here working didn't take up the option to stay here. That, that was a big issue. The other thing is that actually post-pandemic, just over 20% of the potential working population decided not to come back to work. So early retirements, all that sort of thing. Been a little bit of a reversal in that because of cost of living, but I mean, generally speaking, every sector, it's not unique to automotive, every sector is looking for people. So we've got to do our bit. We've got to, we've got to get into that fight with everybody else. The unfortunate thing is that of all the sectors that you can look at, we're one of only three sectors where that problem is still getting bigger. 
So we've been measuring that number um, uh, you know, continuously. Right now, um, there are 26,000 vacancies in automotive, and I'm talking about that part of automotive that's outside the factory gate. Which areas uh, in particular of the industry have been um, particularly affected by the skills shortages? Well, I, I think obviously, you know, in a normal course of events, the pandemic would have had a catastrophic event uh, effect on the industry. But for us, it came at the same time that we were going through unprecedented changes. And of course, they, they didn't stop. The, 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 the pace of change around electrification, um, you know, the move towards... Well, that, if the anything, a, it got quicker. Yeah, the ACES piece, the autonomous connected electric piece, all just move, continued to move forward at a pace, as you rightly say. Big hand to the industry for kind of getting back on it once we came out of the restrictions. So the engagement with uh, electric vehicle qualifications, for example, has been fantastic. And we, had a, we were projecting a skills gap. So based on the number of people we, we know that we're going to need to be qualified by 2030, uh, when you know, the ICE vehicles are no longer going to be sold, we had a skills gap at 2026, and that's moved up to 2029 now. Okay. But we're still going to need 103,000 roughly people uh, to be qualified to cope with the job in 2030. So, so EV at least is going in the right direction, but in terms of... It's uh, going in the right direction. That it, we still need people to be on that one. What we've revealed more recently is that there's a bigger skills gap around ADAS. Yes, this is something that hasn't really been spoken about. No, it hasn't. And bear in mind that from the middle of last year, every single car coming off the production line and sold in this country has ADAS uh, and uh, at a minimum level. And that minimum level is, is around about 11 systems. So it's not like just autonomous, autonomous emergency braking or something on its own. So quite sophisticated level two autonomy it gets referred to as by the authorities and there will be regulation coming around that so we, we we're showing at the moment a huge skills gap there now there's probably people out there that have had some training and are even doing some work on it but without any formal qualification they need to know that there will be a need for formal qualification going forward so what did you think of that then Freya? i think it was interesting to hear from steve about the ev skills gap but the ADAS skills gap is something I didn't know anything about before speaking to him. And as Steve pointed out, it's in nearly every car these days, and so it should be cause for concern. Now, one area of the independent aftermarket which is seeing a rise in numbers are mobile mechanics, which is something we spoke to Bill Fennell, head of the Motor Ombudsman, about. So let's hear from Bill about why roadside repairs are becoming more common. Hi everybody, my name is Bill Fennell, and I'm the uh, Chief Ombudsman and Managing Director of the Motor Ombudsman. I think, I mean, in part this can be the cost of living, but I, I think it's really, it's the way the market is growing and customers want. Customers want to be able to be, to have their cars repaired or looked at. I mean, it's not just mobile mechanics, it can also be mobile body shops. Um, and they want to do it at home or if they're in their workplace. Does the, the I want to say the P word, the pandemic, has that had a, an impact on this? Um, I think... It must have done. It's always hard to get exact numbers of mobile mechanics, but I think from a consumer's perspective, it definitely drove the wish to have it done. Um, but I think the actual growth in mobile mechanics and mobile repairers was growing anyway, and we could see that even back in 2016. But I think each year it's grown higher and higher. Okay, just changing uh, direction slightly, what effect has the cost of living crisis had on the industry, do you think? Probably, I think if we, if we start with consumers, um, I think what we're seeing is, is more cases. 
So we're getting, we're getting more contact from private individuals regarding concerns they've got when they've had their, their car repaired or when they bought a new or a used car. And I think a lot of that is driven by people wanting even more value from what they see. But also then they're being impacted if, if the repair isn't done properly, they straight away want something sorted with that. So it's not just that they're out looking for a freebie? Yeah, I think, but what we are seeing, I mean, let's be plain, is probably the number of contacts and cases we've had in the first, well, up to May this year is up around 30 to 40% on the same period last year. A huge Um, jump. Yeah, and actually what we're also seeing is where before consumers were maybe willing to um, just have the repair redone or have it done to their satisfaction, we're seeing more now they want to reject the vehicle or reject the pair and get repair and get compensation fully. So they are being more demanding on what they get and we're seeing more cases. I think from the garages themselves, I think some are doing quite well. There is this myth, isn't there, that garages are out there ripping off customers all the time. And to be honest, this is even something you hear within the aftermarket itself. But it seems perhaps the opposite is true, that customers are ripping off the garages. That'll be you soon, won't it, Kieran? After your timing belt failed on the North Circular. Ah, Freya, don't remind me. Anyway, before you hear our next interview, I have a message to share with you from one of our sponsors. With over 4,000 items from a single source, Liqui Molly is one of few full-range suppliers in the field of automotive chemicals and offers a globally unique range of motor and gears oils, fuel and oil additives, vehicles care, chemical repair aids, as well as service, adhesive and sealant products. Whether for cars, bikes, commercial vehicles, construction equipment, boats or garden appliances, for private use at home, in professional workshop applications or for efficient industrial use, Liquimoly problem solvers lengthen the service life of motors and aggregates and ensure their excellent performance and proper function for many years to come. Germany's most popular oil brand. Remember, Everything that drives moves better with Liqui Molly. Back to where we were. Similar to the motor ombudsman, the VLS investigates and upholds complaints from both the trade and consumers relating to oil specifications. Here, the organisation's head, Mike Busey, discusses what the VLS's role is and how more complex oils are causing issues. I'm Mike Busey. I've worked uh, with a number of brands such as Comer Oil and Duckham's and Mobil. And I am currently chairman of the VLS, which is part of the UK Lubricants Association. Sometimes we're, we're accused of being a sort of name and shame organisation. That, that's not the number one priority. That's not what we're here for. Education was the number one priority. We found that initially we had lots of cases being, cited, being put forward and, and we were running them anonymously um, through the, the technical uh, team. And most of it is about advising the blenders or the additive providers or you know, the whole supply chain on how to make the correct claim so that we don't mislead the distributors or, or the customer themselves and do damage to the vehicle. So once we, we had achieved that, that's always remained our number one priority. We kind of feel always a little bit disappointed if we ever get to that point where we have to get the manual out and start following the process to name and shame and pass on to trading standards now as we do you know we kind of see that almost as a as a failure on our behalf because we haven't been able to persuade the, the parties concerned that you know we you know 
purpose of the VLS. Yeah. So you don't enjoy the shaming part of it? Not at all, no. And it, it usually causes friction. Uh, yeah. It's bound to between wholesalers, customers, us, our members. Our, you know, it, it, it's not a good result if that happens. So working, and, and you know, I've worked for an organisation where we were cited and we did put our hands up and said, yeah, yeah, no, we recognise we have an administrative failure here. Thank you very much for pointing it out to us. And we, yeah. we rectified it. We agreed to do that and, and we were listed by the VLS as saying, yeah, we found a problem, they fixed it, everybody's happy, this is a great result for everybody. You're working with people, not against them. Totally. And would you, would you say cases are, are on the rise or uh, are they uh, declining? We, we saw during the pandemic, we saw a big drop, uh, which is no surprise because everybody had plenty of other things on their minds. Um, but since then, we have seen a resurgence and we've seen an uplift. I think that's a, a combination of both greater complexity uh, in the lubricants industry coming through and it's good to see that we're seeing things not just a 530 motor oil, we're seeing some gear oils being questioned, we're seeing um, some other industrial products being questioned, so it's not just a standard 530 motor oil anymore, it is more complex. Excellent. Well, thank you to our three interviewees. I think it's time for another coffee, don't you, Freya? Oh, always. Now, you may remember Car Spares Factors' Sanjeev Shah from November's episode. Well, Tom Henman has popped back into their HQ for a catch-up. Take a listen while Freya and I wet our whistles. Kieran, it's great to be back in the studio after what seems like an age. I think the festivities at Auto Mechanica Birmingham, with the build-up and hype surrounding the event, when it coming and going in a flash, took a lot out of people particularly for those designing stands, creating marketing material, organising personnel accommodation, not to mention the actual event itself and being at the NEC for three days. Personally, I thought it was a terrific event. I enjoyed plenty of insightful conversations, whether that be with garages, factors, prospects, friends of the publications. If you attended, for whatever reason, I hope you found it a useful exercise and you got out of it what you wanted. Anyway, down to business. And this month, I am delighted to welcome Sanjeev Shah to the pod. Sanj is the co-owner of Car Spares Factors, a multi-branch rapid member with head office in North London. I've already paid him a visit at CSF's newest branch in Waltham Abbey, but I did promise another one at HQ a few months down the line. I stuck to my promise, and I was promised a completely different setup to Waltham Abbey, and Sanj wasn't wrong. It was clear he was proud as punch when he introduced me to members of the team, showing me around the warehouse, and sitting down to talk everything from business, market trends, and indeed, thoughts on Auto Mechanica. When I arrived at the depot, I was taken through to the sales office where the phones were relentless. My conversation with Sanj started here. I wanted to know how important that relationship with customers was. They've built a really good rapport with all our customers. I mean, as you can imagine, we've been around since 77, so we've got customers that have dealt with us for the best part of 35, 40 years. A lot of them use us because of these guys. Three of them have been here nearly 20 years. Two of them have been here about seven, eight years, uh, and then the rest of them all new. Well, I've got drivers that have been here for 20, 25 years. They know the customers really well. And for us, it's, it's not just about selling, it's about building relationships. Staying on that same line of factor-customer relationship, given the experience of the sales team, I was curious to discover how much onus the customer places on the factor in terms of a choice of supplier. If it's on our shelf and we're selling it, it's because we have confidence in that product. If for any reason we've got a product and we find that there's issues with it, it comes off our shelves and we don't supply them. 
So they've got that confidence, but because we offer such a range in that we don't just offer one type of filter brand. We've got Perflux, we've got Febby, we've got Hearth and Bus, we've got Blueprint, we've got Marla, we've got our own Lufton brand. So the choice is there for them. So these guys know all our customers really well. They know which brands the customers prefer. So when the customers ring up and place their orders, they don't constantly have to be keep asking the question, oh, I've got it in this and this and this and this, what shall I send you? They just know what to send and they send it. But what about a new supplier? That member of staff won't have that level of experience or knowledge on the previous incumbent. So I wanted to know what the actions CSF take when a new supplier comes on board. Um, a couple of years ago, the Rapid Group took on Duckham's Oils as a, as a mainline uh, oil supplier. Um, so the first thing that happened was Duckham's came here to a training session with all the sales guys to explain the product, to explain the value of the product, uh, the quality of the product, the fact that they're certified oils for pretty much all the major brands, um, you know, all the plus points for that oil, for my guys to confidently say to our garages, you know, this is Duckham's, this is what it's about. Um, so they'd done the full session with our guys here. Thereafter, they then went out with the BDMs to all our customers, done full workouts with a lot of our customers, got them on board as well, um, to the point where, we, you know, we gave away lots of free stands for the 20 litre oils and stuff, but we've also now started stocking the 200 litre oils. Customer service is of paramount importance to CSF. It was emphasised to me plenty of times. So given the need to deliver the right parts quickly, I was interested to know what the strategy was in terms of delivering promptly and efficiently, given the locations of the branches in North London, Hertfordshire and Essex. Very busy places. We've always had ample drivers at every depot. You could possibly run the depots with less drivers than what we keep, but then we wouldn't offer the service. So what we do at every depot is we always have one, probably one, maybe two extra drivers at every depot. One or two drivers are always kept local, so any garages within a mile vicinity, they're getting their deliveries in 10, 15 minutes, and then the rest of the drivers do all the deliveries further out. Benefit of that is that your local customers, they do become very loyal to you because of the service levels they're getting, and so you automatically get more business out of them. But it also then quickens our deliveries for the ones further away because they're not doing all the local deliveries first and then tagging on all the, late, the, the further ones away. So the ones that are further away, they get to the first drop much quicker and then do the drops and come back. Yeah. So the drivers are very in and out uh, relatively quickly. And we stagger all our drivers, so some start at 8 o'clock, some start at 8.30, some start at 9, so that there's always a constant thing where drivers are in and out pretty much every 15, 20 minutes. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to my chat with Sanjeev as much as I did producing it. If you're a factor and you'd like me to pop in for a chat with a view to having your voice heard on the airwaves or indeed in PMF itself, please get in touch at tom at pmfmag.co.uk. Kieran, back to you. Thanks, Tom. That's all we have time for this month. Thanks to all our guests for being as interesting as ever. And thank you for listening. See you next month. Cheerio. Bye.